In today's world, in a work from anywhere world where companies are downsizing that fixed footprint and are leveraging co-working spaces and serviced offices and the myriad of other types of great and safe and economic workplaces that are available on demand, that model is inherently pay for what you use. It's a, it's a zero waste model. Workforce transformation, a future of work where individuals are owners of their own career. Companies buying work outcomes, not employees on the open market. Welcome to State of Independence, the podcast about how independent work has completely transformed the U.S. economy and how you can take advantage of it. I'm your host, Asya Hawk. Today, we will talk with Mark Gilbreth, CEO of Liquid Space, a leader in hybrid and work-from-anywhere workplace transformation. We will talk about what productive work environments look like, why distributed work can be good for both companies and workers, whether employees or independents, and what work culture has to do with it. Mark, it is such a pleasure to welcome you to MBO's State of Independence podcast. You are someone whose career I have followed over the years as as an influencer within the workforce space in a really unique way. And that was why we wanted to invite you to be a guest as we start to discuss the transformation of where and how work gets done. So welcome. Asya, it's always a pleasure. One of the questions I always ask my guests is, given that we are at the 10th year of studying independent work in America, where were you 10 years ago today? And how has that led you to your position as a leader at Liquid Space and a leader within the workforce transformation conversation? 10 years ago, I was probably still uh, enjoying the afterglow of having presented Liquid Space to the world at the South by Southwest conference, which had happened a, a month earlier, 10 years ago. So in, yeah, in March, I think it was early March of 2011, we launched Liquid Space. We, we dropped our app into the Apple App Store and, and uh, you know, dove headfirst into the mosh pit of South by Southwest, which is, a, for anybody that's not initiated, is, is a, uh, an exciting conference that happens every year in Austin, Texas. And it's sort of the confluence of technology and media industries and music industries. Um, and, it, and it's the place where... You know, exciting apps like Uber were launched in, in prior years. And so 10 years ago, we were introducing and evangelizing the concept of flexibility and choice. And we were, in essence, challenging professionals 10 years ago to cut the chains of, to the cube farm, right? You know, exercise flexibility and choice. You know, you and you alone, Asia, can best determine the environment and the location that will enable you to do your best work. Right. So it's a bit of a back to the future here in, in the current days. But but yeah, 10 years ago, that's, that's precisely where I was emotionally. That is incredible. And I think that you're among that cadre of entrepreneurs that saw something before others did. And, you know, there are others that had started on this journey of saying the consumer who is producing work for companies, so the individual should have a greater say, as you said, in how, where they work and what what is the most productive work environment for them. So you started with this concept of speaking to the talent themselves, to the people that are providing work. Has that been where you've stayed in your focus? How has your conversation also evolved to speak to both sides, 
to also speak to companies? Yeah, it, it's been a fascinating journey because when we launched 10 years ago, and perhaps this is typical of idealistic and inspired and sometimes unrealistic uh, founders, now you, ha- you have to have sort of this 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 boldness to imagine uh, or have to carry a vision of, of the world in some better way that is unrealistic. Because if, if you were realistic mm-hmm. about the, the hurdles to be overcome, you'd never start. But 10 years ago, it was very much a, a people-centric message. It was very much, mm-hmm. yes, as you said, the consumer. Like we, we wanted to speak to professionals and challenge them to challenge the very context of, of what workplace was 10 years ago. As can often be the case for sort of disruptive or sort of missionary ideas, timing does matter. <laughs> and I think we, we learned that 2011 was probably premature or we were early with that message. While it inspired some, it ran headlong into a then still very conservative employer establishment, a very conservative corporate real estate and workplace industry that was then, and for frankly, up until this last year, was deeply rooted in the orthodoxy of presenteeism. I I even refer humbly to corporate real estate and workplace leaders as having been benevolent gods. Benevolent in that they they are, the the best of them are are indeed human-minded, but they're gods in that they have wielded this power to be able to prescribe workplace. Mm-hmm. They've wielded enormous budgets. They've been tasked to create great places, and they've had the authority to prescribe that those places, those headquarters, those gleaming offices, with the ping pong tables and the sushi, or even more humble environments, they you know they were able to say, Asia, this is we've built this great space for you, this place for you. This is your desk or your office or your cube, or your collaborative lounge. This is where you come to work, and. And here we were in 2011 championing the notion of work from anywhere, <laughs> flexibility and choice. Mm-hmm. And we were, we were orthogonal to the interests of companies that wanted people in the office. So over the course of 2011 through 2019, we increasingly aligned with and were able to enlist the support and the trust of companies. We oriented our go-to-market strategy around helping companies leverage our platform, our marketplace of flexible office to serve the needs of their employees. And then we had 2020, then, then COVID struck. And, and there's a, a full circle effect has played out, which we can talk about. Well, COVID has been such a massive disruptor for so many industries and certainly for the what we call quote unquote the future of workspace it has been a game changer right so for those that were quietly working and as you describe it kind of chipping away at a traditional model they've suddenly seen the doors open to invert and flip the power in that equation so as you now look forward and you look at the next decade what do you see that will look different both to both sides, you've had the privilege of working with those um, those gods of the office, you know, to change their minds slowly and to give them ability to access flexible space. You've also um, continued to talk with talent and understand what their needs are. I'm assuming to drive the motivation for what they'll go pick and what inventory you present to them. So, give us a little peek into what you're thinking at Liquid Space. I think the next ten years will be very different than the last 10. I think they will directly reflect some extraordinary learnings 
the knowledge now held by arguably three communities within the corporate landscape, within the enterprise mm -hmm. or, or professional landscape. Employees, their managers, and then I'll call it senior leadership. And so touching on those three, when COVID struck with this extraordinary grand experiment unfolding in you know hours and days, and that experiment being, of course, everybody went home. Mm -hmm. And in many markets, they're still home. What was so extraordinary was that in a matter of weeks, there were clear learnings starting to surface amongst those three communities that I referenced. Employees saw to their pleasure that, wow, you know what, I've you know, work from home sort of saved the moment, but it, but like I'm, I'm getting on, I'm cracking on, I've, I've remained calm and I'm, I'm carrying on. I'm able to connect with my team via Zoom or Teams. I'm actually somewhat enjoying the fact that I'm not spending two hours in my car five days a week. You know, I'm able to produce and, and, and wow, I've, I've got more control now over my work and life day. And perhaps I'm rebalancing where and when over the course of a 24-hour day, I do various things. So employees saw that they could get work done. Second community, managers. Managers saw, wow, my team is working, right? Mm -hmm. So this, this orthodoxy that many managers held up, up into this last year that I've got to be able to see Asia to trust that she's working. I've got to be able to see Asia to manage her. I've got to be able to see Asia in the office, whether I'm talking to her or not, to feel good about her level of engagement and commitment to our company's effort. That was kiboshed. That orthodoxy was, was put to rest, thankfully. And then third community, you know, the, the benevolent gods, the CFO, the corporate real estate head, the HR head, the benevolent gods observed this. They saw employees working effectively. The benevolent gods saw managers uh, recalibrating around productivity coming out of their teams. And those benevolent gods, including a great many CEOs, began to call out and declare what their future path was going to be. The first of those that really caught my eye that I kind of refer to as the, the Lexington and Concord moment, you know, the shot heard around the world in the American Revolution. That moment, from my point of view, was when James Gorman the CEO of Morgan Stanley appeared on Bloomberg television only six weeks into this grand experiment, only six weeks into COVID. It was late April when on Bloomberg TV, he said 90% of our employees here at Morgan Stanley are working at home. We've had no major issues. Quote, clearly we will need much less real estate. Six weeks in, there's a statement from a bank a financial mm -hmm. services organization, not where you would expect to see sort of radical progressivism necessarily, right? Mm -hmm. You might sooner expect to see that from, you know, a, a technology company in San Francisco. But here a bank calling out, wow, like work is getting done. I've observed what's happening with my employees and my managers. And I'm also keenly aware that, that this thing that I've been spending a great amount of resource on, dollars and time, workplace, I, I'm going to need less of it. That announcement, that, that first shot, that Lexington moment was echoed by countless CEOs across virtually every industry from Spotify to Twitter, to Facebook, to Google, to Microsoft, to you know, banks and insurance companies and manufacturers. Like It's been a chorus. It's been a mm -hmm. tidal wave of new think. And to sort of summarize, how will the future look? I think two things now are changing apace. And they, and they need to evolve together because they're interdependent. One is 
virtually every company of any scale have now reconciled that their existing traditional workplace portfolios have an opportunity to be rationalized, that the scale of it likely can compress. The mean sort of amount that we're hearing repeatedly is in the realm of 30%, staggering amount of footprint that, that companies are seeing that they can rationalize. In addition, rationalization also means that they're seeing that the way that they use that space that they retain is going to shift. It's right. far more likely going to be great places where team members come together to collaborate or mm-hmm. to sort of marinate in the culture of their organization, less likely to be places where they dutifully report to sit and put their heads down to do concentrated work. And so on that front, what will we see over the next 10 years? You'll see a compression of the amount of committed or dedicated workplace per company. And you're going to see a a renaissance of space design and programming and new approach to adapting those places to serve these new rhythms that are emerging. So that's one thing. The second that virtually every company is doing in varying ways and to varying degrees is they're implementing policies of flexibility and choice. They're, They're codifying that. They're stating, Asya, we are going to give you the authority and the agency to be able to decide on a given day even where the best place will be. Will it be home? Will it be a place near home where you could better concentrate? Will it be a place near colleagues where you can do that collaborative work? Or will it be a day back at the headquarters? The benevolent God now of workplace becomes the individual employee. The benevolent gods of old, like the corporate real estate leaders and the workplace leaders, you know, we need to become servant leaders. In the service of eliminating friction from that process, in the service of fostering and nudging culture to you know, still grow and strengthen while the place of workplace becomes this wholly new thing, this distributed continuum of home and co-working spaces and, and what remains of traditional headquarters. I find it a very exciting picture because it cues back to sort of a return to humanity in terms of allowing people to perform to their true potential, space being a big part of how you become comfortable in your own skin to do the work that you need to do. And, you know, there's so many different types of work as you cued to, right? There's a time that you need to be quiet and focused. Let's call it your focus or think time. There's a time that you need to collaborate and innovate. There's a time, depending on who you are as an individual, you know, I think a lot about something like a Myers-Briggs, you know, those who are introverted versus those who are extroverted, where do they draw their energy? In fact, there was a great conversation with somebody you know well, Liz Elam from Juicy about the design of spaces and how that really influences our output, right? In in a very, very kind of a profound way, right? When we think about design and you cue towards this and your concept of there's this great rethinking of the design of work, which to me is a really exciting experiment. We have all this going on in our world. There are people sitting in offices or let's call it boardrooms today who maybe are just thinking about that number, right? That you talked about that 30%. Okay. So that's a 30% cost savings opportunity for a lot of organizations. And they may not be taking it a step further to really say, it's rationalizing maybe 30% of my portfolio of physical space, but how can I truly use that reinvestment? Because that's what I see it as, right? Rather than a reduction or removal. How can I use that reinvestment 
to create the business of the future that is going to be the most productive, most competitive place that most employees want to be a part of. Do you participate in those conversations? And what do you have to say to leaders that are either thinking of it as cost or opportunity? We do participate in those conversations with enterprises who are initiating or are down the path of their journey to workplace transformation, to work from anywhere transformation or hybrid workplace transformation. And I'm very pleased to share out to your audience that the vast majority of companies are fixated on creating great employee experiences. They're fixated on engagement and retention and hiring and work output. They're, they're, they're fixated on culture. That's a really hopeful thing to already see here as we prepare for this next chapter of workplace. I say they're, they're focused on that more so than this just being a cost reduction exercise. Now, mind you, the conclusion that most companies have already drawn with regards to the scale of their real estate footprint points to a dramatically large economic opportunity, you know, so much so that you know, smart and switched on companies, they're going to act on that. Right? They're going to they're gonna act on it with restacking and compressing and end of leasing space as they need to. Like it, it would be negligent to not do so. Right. This may seem subtle, but they're not solving for that as the primary why. They're acting on that in conjunction with the more important why, which is, all right, in a new world where we have learned that Asia prefers to work from home three days a week and can produce great work in so doing, in a new world where the talent is perhaps distributing itself into even more markets. And if I want to hire that great talent, I need to be able to go and make them a part of my team, perhaps wherever they might live. And in a world where more and more space options are becoming available you know, between home and headquarters, like how do I act on that? You know, and that's where, that's where we sit. That's, the, that's mm-hmm. the conversation that we get invited into. Companies are looking for policy and now the tools and platforms to be able to act on what you and I have been talking about. How can I assess the needs of my employees and then thoughtfully and safely provide them with the agency, the mechanisms to be able to tap into great workspace options in a way that's unique to every employee, in a way that's consistent with the financial capacity and the brand and the quality standards and the health and safety needs of the company. Like, how do I do that? It's an exciting moment, and, and, and we're finding ourselves squarely in the middle of that conversation. Part of this is, if you're sitting in that room, is something that you probably at Liquid Space have tremendous access to, maybe more than most, which is the concept of when spaces exist, how does utilization actually work? So if I'm sitting, just like my car, how many minutes of the day do I actually sit in it? versus it sits in front of my house or in a parking lot. I'm sure the same logic of space utilization exists within the broader workspace industry that goes beyond traditional office buildings to any kind of space. So I can imagine there's great insights and I would love for you to share what you know about utilization because that's about maximizing the unique uses of space. And then there's a second concept that I would love you to touch on in your response, which is, the community aspect, meaning the organization, the CEO, the board's job to ensure that there is a sense of culture and community that's still retained. What do you have to share with us? 
Yeah. So you touched on the two work streams that are unfolding, right? You know, utilization of space that is often anchored against, do I have too much or too little? And I want to know, I need to know, do I have too much or too little? Uh, because if I have too much, then I'm then, then that's big spend. I mean, real estate is the second largest operational spend for most companies after its people. Right. And so it's a line item in the corporate PL that does need to be managed. It does consume significant amounts of capital and 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 material and carbon footprint, we should say as well. Mm-hmm. So the first observation to make on that is as we consider a new approach to enterprise workplace that more fully leverages the concept of flexible space, the concept of workspace on demand. We should observe we're fundamentally changing by virtue of the use case, the whole discussion of utilization. Utilization was a keen topic in the past when I was signing leases for 10 or 15 or 20 years and committing to large fixed quantums of space and having to plan for future growth. I inherently had in that model significant waste or underutilization. In today's world, in a work from anywhere world where companies are downsizing that fixed footprint and are leveraging co-working spaces and serviced offices and the myriad of other types of great and safe and economic workplaces that are available on demand, that model is inherently pay for what you use. It's It's a zero waste model. Asia doesn't book the private office near home for a day of work when she needs to concentrate and she knows that her roommate might be in the house. Uh, She doesn't book it if she doesn't need it. Mm -hmm. And the day that she doesn't use it, she's not paying for it. Mark doesn't book the sales meeting boardroom at the co-working space near the rest of his colleagues if he's not having a sales meeting that day. You know, space doesn't get consumed if it isn't needed. So we're, we're stepping into a world where companies will enjoy a dramatically higher utilization of the space that they're paying for. Right. So I think that's an important thing to stress. You also touched on community, and that plays to the, the culture side, the human experience side. One of the biggest fears that workplace and HR leaders and, and the C-suite, frankly, are, mm-hmm. are having right now, the angst, is... Mm-hmm. If I'm going to allow employees to work from home, if I'm going to allow them or even give them and promote mechanisms that they can use to tap into co-working spaces, and if I'm going to acknowledge that people are going to be coming to the headquarters less, what about my culture? In fact, some of the traditionalists or the conservatives that perhaps are arguing against the, the change that's happening are saying, well, of course the headquarters is not going to go away. Of course office isn't going to go away. That's where culture happens. Well, Culture can happen and connection happens through myriad of mediums and a myriad of scale. It doesn't have to be all 10,000 employees showing back up at the campus on a given day. Mm-hmm. It certainly needs to be high bandwidth interaction between you know, those close connections, right? Mm-hmm. And, and yes, in-person absolutely matters for certain tasks and in-person absolutely is a context that allows for the deeper bonding of connections, of the chemistry. And so companies do have the opportunity to wrap their approaches to providing work from anywhere with cultural nudges, to encourage employees to come together, to be attentive to observe how their employees are exercising their newly given choice. 
if it's observed that Mark is tending toward a bit of a hermit lifestyle and is never surfacing from his home-based work environment, he might be a candidate for a nudge to draw him back into that experience, whether it's at the headquarters or at a co-working space, to immerse a little bit, right? And so I think cultural nudges across a distributed workplace landscape are going to become a vital part of how we all manage the, the new world of workplace. I've been thinking a lot about, just because I am a was, not am, was a frequent traveler prior to COVID and seek to travel again. And probably somebody who you could call a potential digital nomad, even though I'm certainly very rooted in my home base in Dallas. And I'm interested in the intersection between what is happening in, let's call it the travel industry and what's happening in travel that is bringing it closer and closer to what I'd call the future of work industry. Mm -hmm. Airbnb, I think, is a company that started to bring those two worlds together in a really unique way when it gave people the ability to move anywhere and live like a local and essentially log in and work from anywhere while getting to know their new societies. What do you see as, from your unique perspective of being a tool and a process to book you know, you're, you're sitting there, you're that middleware that allows, whether it's a corporate manager to book at scale or even a consumer, I'm curious about that, to book space anywhere. What do you see as the trends there? Are people looking for ways to, to leverage space that's not even in, not their headquarters or even their own hometown, but just somewhere as a digital nomad? Yes. <laughs> We've actually taken a lot of cues from the corporate travel industry. Several months ago, we announced and last month we shipped a whole new product for enterprises that was polished with some final reflections on the travel industry. So I'll describe that. When, in 2011 at South by Southwest, what we introduced to the world was the liquid space marketplace, mm -hmm. a B2C, a business to consumer digital marketplace that was designed for and optimized for individuals to be able to search and find and book space with a few clicks, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's for the consumer, for the individual. That, that individual might have been an employee of a big company or it could have been a freelancer right. or a digital nomad. Right. What's happening now post-COVID is most large companies are looking to provide in a managed way, in a controlled and a safe way, an experience to their employees at scale. But as enterprise leaders, as workplace leaders, just as travel managers did in the past, workplace leaders have a duty of care. I need right. to ensure that the spaces that I'm advocating to my employees are safe. I need to ensure that they are of the quality that we expect. I need to ensure that legal issues and information security issues are attended to. I need to ensure that my company's consumption of this service is in line with and tracking to our budget expectations. Mm -hmm. So if you're a company and you're contemplating providing flexibility and choice to your employees, it's not enough or it wouldn't be adequate to simply say, to send out an email to all the employees and say, hey, go check out Liquid Space. Good luck. Mm -hmm. That wouldn't have been enough. Rather, what is needed and what we've just introduced is a workplace management tool, a new piece of SaaS software that allows enterprises to be able to organize their employees into teams, to assign mm -hmm. permissions to those teams based upon 
the business functions and the known space needs, to assign spending limits, to curate the property options that those employees are able to see and transact, and then to have detailed and deep insights into how that privilege is being leveraged so that they can understand the new rhythms of workplace. So we now, so Liquid Space today is, yes, an online office marketplace and a workplace management platform. Those two pieces together are our fulsome solution for businesses, and in particular, midsize and larger enterprises that are wrestling with how to adapt immediately to this new mandate, which is how do I give thousands or tens of thousands of employees choice without losing control, without taking on risk, without introducing health concerns or, 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 or danger, right? How do I do that with a duty of care? That is fascinating. I'm excited to hear where you've taken this. It clearly is a market that is poised to grow at a dramatic rate. And it hits a lot of what we were just speaking about in terms of data collection, You know, understanding things like even that portfolio that is provided to a team. Another thing that here at MBO, we've been spending a lot of time talking about, and I'm sure you'll have insightful perspective to offer here, is the sort of global conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we discuss it in context of, you know, that solo or micro entrepreneur that could be from a diverse or disadvantaged background. And And we champion the inclusion of more of these individuals within a workforce conversation. But where that's led us and where I've spent some time really thinking about this is there are winners and losers, right, in working at home. Like if we were just to be really honest about that, you know, the privilege to work at home, which is sort of one end of this extreme, looks very different if you're in a safe and beautiful suburban neighborhood or as, you know, sitting on the top of a mountain in a, in a beautiful area that's well-policed and you don't feel any discomfort with that work environment. You have great broadband, you have access to wonderful services. Not everyone has these privileges. And that's why, in my opinion, and and it's so important, I think, to say this out loud, we have to create work spaces that are not our home. We cannot get lazy about this as companies and decide that we're going to essentially allow people to subsidize their own work environment by the choices of where they live, right? Like how many bedrooms they buy, which community they live in, It's a tremendous strain. It's a strain if you don't have the income to afford a place that you want to live in order to give you the kind of environment where you can provide work services. It's a strain if where you live is somewhere you don't feel comfortable revealing in context of the work that you provide. Maybe you live in a shared space with others that you don't want to present to your employer because you feel uncomfortable with that or you live in an area where there is a lot of noise or there's a lot of interruption, and therefore you don't look great on screen next to somebody working from a serene space. The reason I bring this up is I think it's important for leaders like you to weigh in on that and to help organizations understand this essentially the third space, right? The the difference between home and the corporate headquarters. What does that need to be? to be inclusive of all these different potential workforce contributors, some of whom are set up to succeed and some of whom are not. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing that the employer, whether it's the HR leader or the workplace leader, or the real estate leader, whomever is is sort of taken on the task of of assessing, reconsidering, and then acting on a new workplace strategy, we have to move past this binary argument of home versus office. Mm-hmm. It, it is not so simple. It cannot be prescriptive. It won't be homogenous. Mm-hmm. The answer of where is the best workplace is going to vary and be unique employee by employee. And so if we pick up on some of those points uh, that you touched on in terms of what I would sort of describe as the suitability of the home environment as a place to do some work needs to be considered along multiple axes, such as the physical environment itself. There are also axes to consider like the nature of the employees sort of standing in the company. Thirdly, as you said earlier, some work is concentration oriented. Some work is collaborative or cooperative in nature. And while we've been doing most work over Zoom at home for the last 13 months, the reality is that certain tasks benefit working in specialized environments. As we're starting to close, I'm curious about cities, you know, cities or spaces, let's call it now. It used to be mega cities. Now every city is back in the running, you know, with the with our global and transforming workspace. And I think individuals, as they're members of their local community, their family, and then their workplace, are also members of that city, that space in which they live. And one thing that I hope for is that, you know, people maybe queuing a little bit from that earlier analogy of Airbnb, is that you are a host, right, to those that visit you. So if Mark gets on a plane and goes to Southern California and maybe he's never been there before and there's a whiteboard meeting. Well, suddenly that individual that you're meeting with might be the person that gives you the keys to that city. They take you somewhere. They take you to their favorite coffee shop. They take Mm -hmm. you to where they love to go to dinner. And suddenly your personal experience of community has been enriched by that physical interaction with somebody who's employed and is a part of your team, but will never live in the same place as you forevermore, right? They're from that place and you're from another place. And to me, that's the other piece about how work and travel are becoming so uniquely and really interestingly integrated. I think the vision you just laid out is very hopeful. I I think it it is real. I I think that there's going to be this permeability between work and workplace and the external community. And my, how exciting that is, like a, a world where, yes, I'm, I'm tasting that new coffee shop. I'm experiencing that new community culture, that local place in conjunction with the work I'm doing being something that is more distributed. It's a delicious vision of the future. Just as you're working with corporate leaders to put dollars behind the reimagining of space and, and, the, and the work management of that, and you described your very exciting new product. We need to think about what does that employee experience budget look like? You know, am I going to have an individually managed budget for space or is it going to be corporately managed where I get access or points to use it? What is my employee experience in terms of are we going to invest more in sending me on the road the first two years that I'm working? And what is the financial ROI of doing that and doing that really well that gives people the best right to succeed? And then what are those other new responsibilities? You can call them perks, or you could call them just necessities, like the health and safety of my space, the 
connectivity of my space, the overall look and feel, the design of my space, that's going to end up being something that I as an employee should have some dollars in the equation to go help figure out. Dollars maybe just, I pick it with my wallet. This is my wallet and I pick this space over this space. Our driving vision as a company at Liquid Space is more happy people working in better places, the planet smiles. I love it. With that statement, we're trying to honor and recognize that it does begin with the people. Place does matter. It's vital. And it's not one place anymore. It's going to be multiple. It's plural. It's better places. And, And then let's not forget the overarching and critical agenda of this moment that we all as humans are living in, which is a warming planet. We have to give attention to the actions that we're taking and the gross inefficiencies of the way we approach real estate in the past that that contributed in a meaningful way to the problem that we've got to work ourselves out of. I mean, real estate and its gross underutilization and its enormous consumption of electricity and material, to say nothing of the travel associated with getting to those locations, is something that can and must change. I love it, Mark. Thank you so much for taking the time to share such an insightful and thoughtful and far-ranging set of ideas about the future of workspace and workplace. My great pleasure. Thank you, Asya. That was Mark Gilbert, CEO of Liquid Space. For more of MBO's insights on the future of work, visit mbopartners.com or find another episode of State of Independence wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening.